Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. 
And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Norfolk, Virginia, the site of the largest naval base in the world, and so much history is here. 144 miles of shoreline, which also includes, of course, the Chesapeake Bay. I'm joined by somebody who knows everything you ever wanted to know about Norfolk, Virginia, and her name is Peggy McPhillips. I, I love your title. You, you are the Norfolk City Historian. I am the Norfolk City Historian. As my husband would say, that's her real job. <laughs> Well, other than certain things that I know about, like you having the largest naval base in the world, there are other things as well. There are many other things, but speaking of the naval base, I think they all revolve around our water. We're almost surrounded by water. We're cut through by water. We were founded. Rivers, lakes, bays. Creeks. Cricks. Can't forget that. Say it again. Can't Say it again. Cricks. 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 We were founded in the 17th century because of our harbor, our natural, deep, ice-free harbor. Uh, we were founded on a little strip of land of 50, 50 acres, almost completely surrounded by water. And that brought in trade, uh, our Navy, wonderful, wonderful fresh seafood. We had several disasters through the years, and the port and its economy brought us back to stability. We were burned to the ground at the beginning of the Revolutionary War. We had a terrible fire in 1922 in our Berkeley neighborhood that destroyed most of the houses there and caused a massive leaving of Berkeley. There was a waterfront fire in 1931. Um, we had a yellow fever epidemic in 1855 where about 2,000 people died within a period of about 90 days. Uh, then we were occupied by the federal army during the Civil War. You mean those Union guys? Those Union guys, those guys from the North, came down, those, <laughs> those Yankees, and they occupied us for four years. Um, our economy and our infrastructure were just a mess after that. And every time we looked to the water and we saw commerce coming in, commerce going out, um, and those wonderful, wonderful loads of coal leaving and going all over the world after the 1880s, coal came to Norfolk. And you know, it's interesting when you talk about coal because we've done this show many times from Wales. And Wales was the coal capital of Europe. And in fact, there were coal barons. And it was like the Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. of coal. Um, and then about 1968, when the, when the British government ruled no more coal mines, they had to reinvent themselves. Oh, my goodness. And I guess they did. Just like you guys uh, were, you know, right. in, in terms of figuring out. And in both cases, the answer was the water. Exactly. It, it's just, it's the whole story of Norfolk is the water. I could tie it into just about everything. The, the Jamestown Exposition in 1907, that was because we were on Sewell's Point, and it was a great location for people, many of whom traveled by water in those days. You know, after 9-11, uh, the travel industry was in terrible shape. Uh, nobody was flying, which meant nobody's going to hotels. Everybody was staying home. The only industry that was able to adapt was the cruise line industry because they could literally physically uh, move their assets. Mm -hmm. And they started repositioning their ships to U.S. ports, ports that didn't even know they had cruise ship ports, Norfolk being one of them. Norfolk was very like that, even farther back than that. We had our first uh, operation sail in 
1976. It was an anniversary called The Tall Ships. The Tall Ships, sure. We had no real beautiful waterfront at the time. We'd been a working waterfront, and the the ships had left downtown, and it was just parking lots and rubble. And we found a, a berth over at NOAA for a couple of ships to come in, and people were just amazed. All of the citizens who went down, they liked the ships. And that was really the start of the rebirth of our downtown waterfront, which today is beautiful. And are you getting cruise ships coming in now? We are getting cruise ships coming in now. We sure are. And that's wonderful to see all these tourists walking around downtown and being interested in our, our shopping mall and all of the restaurants on our main main downtown drag, Granby Street. But when people come and you get a chance to talk to them, what's mm-hmm. the biggest surprise that you have for them about the history of Norfolk that they had absolutely no idea? Well, a lot of the people had heard Norfolk's reputation, which wasn't all that great, um, going back to World War II, and they are amazed that it's so modern, so easy well, what to get was, around What in. was the reputation? Well, during World War II, um, the Navy was very different then. We had, um, oh gosh. The, the, the MPs were busy. They were busy. We had a huge <laughs> influx of people coming in. We had a very colorful East Main Street with tattoo parlors and honky-tonks, and the MPs were busy. And Norfolk was not as welcoming of the Navy as we are now, so it was known as a very unfriendly Hello? place. Not a lot to do. Boy, is I'm that feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. talking to Peggy McPhillips, the Norfolk City historian. I remember, Peggy, when I first came to Norfolk in the 70s, it was a tough place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was there were places you just wouldn't go, right? That's right. And Especially on the waterfront, too. Mm-hmm. What turned it around? I, it must have been a combination of things. Um, I think a critical mass may have been part of it. Because uh, the Navy's the, always been here. The Navy's always been here. Um, are there still tattoo parlors here? There are tattoo parlors here again. They went <laughs> away and they came back a couple of years ago. Um, no pain, no stain is the uh, motto of one of them. Okay. So they are back, but it, they're very, very different now. We don't have the colorful East Main Street. Instead of being tattoo parlors and, and peep shows and things like that, there's the financial district today. Um, beautiful brand new hotels, one that just opened a couple of weeks ago, the main on Main Street. Um, we have the beautiful new library that just opened two years ago that's a major draw for people. Thomas, um, please, please tell me people go to the library. People still. go to the library. Oh my gosh, they do. Um, our main library was taken down um, in 2009 for our new light rail station downtown. But the city decided to buy a little building for us that was built in 1900. And two years ago, a six-story wing of the building was added with the most amazing technology. We have, we still have books. Oh, yes. And we also have books um, which you can get on Kindle or download. We have a lot of things for young people. Pixel Fest was just a couple of weekends ago. And they were just kids doing games and 
dressed strangely to me, but having the best time. So people still come to libraries, absolutely. And you're about to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Navy being We are celebrating the 100th anniversary of Naval Station Norfolk, the greatest naval station in the world, and we're, we're doing a lot with the Navy. The Navy does a lot for us. I mean, it's not just having them here and boosting the economy, but they live in our communities, the, the naval personnel and their families. They, they coach little league teams. They serve on boards and commissions. They sit in front of us in church. Um, so they really are in the community, and I think it has enriched us so much. When people come to Norfolk, uh, friends of yours, for example, who mm-hmm. maybe never been here before, what's the one thing you show them they go, I had no idea? Mm-hmm. What's the biggest surprise to them? I think probably the biggest surprise for a lot of people, especially people who may live a little bit inland, um, is the waterfront. Um, All of the activities that we have on the downtown waterfront with fest events in the summertime and just people, you can stroll around, you can take a a dinner cruise on the water. And a lot of people are not used to using the water in that way. It's not the utilitarian waterfront anymore. It's a little bit of a, a thrill, an extra well, you have the, the Waterside District about to open up. Oh, that's exciting. But before that happens, where do you go hang out? Where's a local dive for you for breakfast, lunch, or dinner that's not in the brochure, not in the guidebook, that you would take me to? For breakfast, I would take you right around the corner from the library to a little place called The Egg. <laughs> yes. it, it is run by um, a young man named Philip Decker, whose father, uh, the late Pete Decker, was a very, very popular and beloved attorney here and. Philip opened the egg, and they served breakfast and lunch. They served breakfast all day. I would definitely take you there. It's just off the beaten track enough, and it's it's one of a kind. All right, so that's breakfast. Where are we going for lunch? Oh, let's see. We don't want to go back there for lunch, do we? No. Uh, I think for lunch I might take you to the Cuisine and Company uh, Cafe in Slover Library. In the library? In the library, yeah. We have our own cafe. Oh, that's so nice having the library cafe right there. They have wonderful food. They are the same company that has the restaurant and the Chrysler Museum. And I think that would be my choice for lunch. Okay, now surprise me for dinner. For dinner. I knew you were going to ask me about dinner. But well, it's, I, I want a place that's, that only you know that's not in the guidebook or the brochures that you got you like to hang out at. Let's see. Uh-huh. She's pausing. I She's thinking. tell you where we like to hang out, and yes. this is very, very casual. But that's what we want. We happen to have um, a couple of universities here. Old Dominion University. They have um, a little section, a uh, row of shops where their bookstore and so forth called Monarch Way because ODU is the Monarchs. Get it? Um, <laughs> and there's a place called Mojo Bones. It's a college hangout, but they have they have wonderful hamburgers. And my husband and I went there for the first time a couple of summers ago when the power went out at home, and we wanted we wanted a cold beer in the worst way. <laughs> and we went there, and, and we've been going back ever since. And it's fun because you have all of the college students there, and a lot of locals go in there, too, and it's totally off the beaten track. So now you go there even when the power doesn't go We out. do. We do. We I'm just double-checking that mm-hmm. you go. Right. That's what you Right. We do. Mojo Bones. Mojo Bones. Yeah. And I like the way you say it. Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. 
Most of you may know of Norfolk on the Chesapeake Bay. You may know it's in Virginia. I'm going to give you that. What you don't know, it's also the home of the largest naval base in the world. And if you're a boat nut like I am, you can't stay away from it. And uh, joining me now, I mean, talk about a place to visit. The commanding officer of the Norfolk Naval Station, Captain Richard McDaniel. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I mean, how big is it? It's big. I mean, land-wise, 6,200 acres. But our ships, we have 56 combatants. That are based here. Based here. So five carriers. Plus repair base. That's correct. So repair facilities. We have 19 squadrons. And we have. And you have carrier groups? We do. We do. So the, uh, the, the five carriers we hear and all the support ships that go with the carriers. And uh, we have 19 squadrons. And then we have 8,400-foot runway. We can accommodate any type of aircraft you want. And uh, have very large tenant commands on board that really support the fleet and get it ready to deploy. So if you're flying a plane off a carrier, he can come land right here. He could. And he does. He does. Oh, wow. All the time. Well, I have to say that I've had a chance to fly a lot of the airplanes in, in the fleet or in, in, the, in, the, in the repertoire, as you say. Uh, and the one thing I've never had a chance to do, and you know, you couldn't put me on a roller coaster. I'm sorry. You could not. An elevator drops, I get crazy. But you put me in a, in a, in a jet, I can, I can handle it, right? The one thing. I've always wanted to do, which is the craziest thing, is three words, night, carrier, <laughs> landing. Well, Norfolk's the right place for you yeah. then. I'm sure, uh, you know, the Navy could probably get something set up for you. It's, it's tough. It, it, it's, it's, it's incredible it's what crazy. these guys do. It's amazing. Um, many, many years ago, uh, when I had done a movie called Red Flag mm -hmm. for CBS, and the Navy came to me and they said, uh, hey, would you like to do something with us? I said, I would love to do something with you. And I told them what I wanted to do, and they said, you're nuts, you're crazy, it'll never happen. And I said, well, if it were to happen, who could I ask permission for? I said, well, it, the commander-in-chief of the Pacific, it's SYNCPAC, the admiral there. I said, well, can I go see him? I said, well, he's just going to say no. I said, well, can I go anyway? And they said, okay. So they made an appointment for me to Pearl Harbor. I went out there to see him, and 15 minutes later, he did the unthinkable. He said yes. <laughs> And I became the first person given a top security clearance to go on an attack nuclear sub on a classified mission. Oh, wow. And I still obviously, Impressive. you and I could probably talk in, uh, off, off right. camera, but, but uh, we went out there. I still can't tell anybody what we did, but that resulted in the Navy agreeing to do a little movie called Hunt for Red October. Oh, really? Yeah. How about that? That's so I was down there. We, we, we saw the, I mean, I experienced the crazy Ivan. I experienced all that stuff. Because mm -hmm. it happened on our on our trip, wow, amazing! So, any chance I get to go visit the Navy, and and for my listeners here, if you get a chance, come visit the Navy base, right? You can do it. That's correct, and we do tours uh, daily. We start at nine. Not just Fleet Week. That's correct. Yeah, we uh, we open up to the public. We it's a windshield tour. We put you on a bus, and we'll take you down to the waterfront. We'll let you see uh, all the ships, the carriers, submarines. We'll take you to the air side. We'll see, show you the Jamestown Exposition homes. That were here from 1907. Pretty, pretty, a lot of history on the base. Yeah. So it's a fascinating place to visit. What's your biggest challenge? Um, I will tell you, one of the, uh, to, to dovetail with what we experienced in the area, probably transportation is one of the biggest. And I would say uh, that's, that's probably only uh, edged out a little bit by security. All so, right. how many people are we talking about on the base? Because you're not going to always have 56 ships here at the same time. 65,000 people. And, um, but who's counting? <laughs> it, it, exactly. That's how many live and work, approximately 45,000 sailors and then the civilians that support. 
So any given day, you can have about 45,000 people on a heavy day of, of port loading that will come into the base. Well, the logistics of just supply right. are, are daunting, mm -hmm. right? What you've got to do to maintain everything to be on time and ready for your fleet deployment on every ship. That's right. That's right. The, uh, the, the logistics piece of this huge logistics arm, for instance, we run the, uh, the largest air mobility command terminal. Uh, that the Navy operates. So these so are the old C-141s are now the C-117s. Yeah, they they uh, you know and we'll we'll accommodate FedEx, we'll accommodate UPS jets as well to come in. So the logistics arms and deploying sailors, Marines, soldiers, airmen around the globe, we do that from Norfolk. For instance, we uh, supply uh, Guantanamo Bay from here, our our air terminal. Uh, all the ships that go to sea, uh, there's a big fleet logistics hub huge warehouses that we have here on the installation and uh so it, it's the logistics i don't want to even nothing. ask you about motor pool that's right <laughs> very large very large it, it really is riding along in my automobile my baby beside me at the wheel cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go you know when we talk about norfolk and, and its coastline on the chesapeake bay another 144 miles of shoreline if you include the lakes and the rivers and, of course, the bay. Um, people forget there's so much history here. Yes, it's the world's largest naval base. You, you, we just talked about that. But there's water, and there's water's side. And join, how's that for a segue? Yeah, I like it. You like I like that? it. Good job. And joining me, who's the president of the Norfolk Waterside District, which is just about to happen, yeah. is, is Glenn Such. How are you, sir? Good, good. Explain Thanks. Waterside. So Waterside District is a, a great uh, family fun destination. It's dining and entertainment. It's right on the water, like you said. And what we've done is— But what was that area before? Uh, it was dining and entertainment about 20, 25 years ago. It sat dormant for the longest of times. Why? Um, I just don't think it was uh, anybody had the right idea and the right vision for what it should be. So it was abandoned? It was abandoned. Wow. Yeah. So how, how big a place are we talking? So it's about 135,000 square feet inside. We got about another 50,000 square feet that we activate outside as well. So it's big. It's real big. And it's retail? Uh, dining and entertainment only. We stay away from the retail. We do what we do best, and uh, that's we, we feed, eat, and, enter and entertain people. Yeah. All right, so I have to ask stupid questions. Ready for stupid questions? Yeah, I, okay. I love them. Okay. I'm usually good at stupid okay. answers. Let's see. You're on the water, and it's dining. Would it be seafood? There is seafood, yes. I just, I just, there's lucky plenty. guess, lucky guess. Yeah, there's plenty of seafood. Actually, the uh, seafood, you know, what we do and when we come in, we don't bring in the big, super big chain style restaurants we like to find the local things so when we come in we kind of do our research and our history so we, no so no arby's no arby's that's correct yeah rappahannock oyster company yeah we have them so there's some good seafood there in a raw bar stripers is a uh, local uh they're from manio uh, the outer banks so they're going to bring in fresh fish every single day they got a seafood restaurant should be is great. that possibly the key to your survival and your success that you're going to do just local yeah i think so i think what we do is uh you know, we make, uh, hopefully we make people proud of their area and their region, their history, as you spoke of. It's it's so rich here, and, and uh, we find things that we like. Boy, I have a real tough job of going around to restaurant after restaurant and finding menu items that we like. We ask these people to be a part of what we see, this vision, Wait, and we let, build it. Okay, let's talk about menu items that you like, because you, you want to stay authentic and genuine. Yeah. All right, so no chicken fingers, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Well, come on. There might be a chicken finger oh, too for a no. child, you know. Okay, fine. <laughs> but you know where I'm going. So, yeah. what is it that you're going to be putting on these menus that 
when people when people eat it, they go, "Wow, I'm in Norfolk." Well, the, I, I think Rappahannock Oyster Company starts a it starts a good a, a good portion of that, and then you have a uh, Star Hill Brewery, of course, and the Fudgery was an icon. Uh, back in its day, about 20 years ago, at Waterside, it's probably the only thing that actually came back from the original. So uh, that's just like making homemade fudge there. Yeah, that's correct. And saltwater taffy, or no? Uh, just fudge. Just fudge. Just do the fudge. Like yeah. Mackinac Island. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's there's some great deli sandwiches. There's some great. Uh, there's a there's a great turkey chop. There's a meatball uh, sub that we had to have from this one gentleman. So we we took his meatball. Why we, why? It was just delicious. At the end of the day, we and could, he's local. Yes. Yeah, we couldn't we couldn't not have it. You know, it just makes that much sense. So what we do is, all these people's names like when it comes to desserts, it's Carolina Cupcakery. Dawn just has a great cupcake, and then the pizza that we have is Kogan's Pizza. They have three locations here in Norfolk already. Now they got a fourth coming, and it's going to be at our place. Thin slice or it's a, it's a New York style. Yeah, it's thin slice. Yeah. Okay, now yeah. we're talking. There you okay, go. it's good stuff. Is there one thing you said absolutely no to? We're not doing that. Uh, probably, I, I probably didn't have the, the, uh, the, uh, I, I didn't have the authority to say no to it, but, uh, yeah, we probably said no to a few things uh, we want to make it, you know, you can put all style, style, different restaurants in there and we, we just kind of wanted it. So it had a fi- uh, family f- friendly feel at the end of the day. It was, uh, just something for everyone at the end of the day. Is it part of, for lack of a better term, a revitalization of, of the entire Norfolk area? Oh, absolutely. I'd like to think that we're, uh. A big spoke in that wheel, but uh, man, Norfolk's fun right now. It's uh, really well, jumping. Okay, why? Well, I think Waterside District's a big part of it, and then you have the main Hilton opening up, and then ADP is now in town. IKEA is coming, and they got these premium outlet shops. That well, there's built. meatballs. Yeah, <laughs> Swedish meatballs. <laughs> Come on, right? huh? Yeah, yeah. Ours are just a little bit different. Although I do, I like the IKEA meatball. That's funny you said See? that. See? Yeah, it's not bad. They can't take that off the menu over there. Yeah, you know, I know people who go to IKEA just for the meatballs. I, I'm one of them. Really? I, I, yeah, I absolutely am. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm originally from Maryland, so there's a uh, there's a uh, IKEA up there. So I, I stop in every once in a while and grab a meatball and See? the egg and the cranberry sauce right there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Is that bad? Reminds me of my mom's. My mom used to make a good. See, Swedish there you meatball. go. So you just go to you don't even buy anything at IKEA. You just go for the meatball. Oh, I can't put that stuff together. So no, I I just get it. I can't either. <laughs> I just get the meatballs. Exactly. So opening May fourth. May 4th, you know, the city's got a lot going on, so we just want to be a great neighbor at that point in time. Yeah, I got a free concert with Michael Ray on May 4th. They're having a corporate run with 2,500 people running by us, so let's let's be open and be ready for them. They have a wine festival that weekend. We just want to be a good neighbor, have some food ready for everybody. There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. You got to pay with plastic. If you have a Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. This year, Norfolk actually celebrates the 100th birthday of the largest naval base in the world. And my next guest knows a little bit about that because he was the commander of that base. Uh, in fact, a decorated marine, uh, 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 naval aviator who uh, 
had about eight different assignments all over the world, and mostly anti-submarine warfare, too, before coming back to Norfolk and running this place uh, before he retired, and then did the smart thing and decided to live here, too. Uh, his name? Rear Admiral Byron Jake Tobin, U.S. Navy, I hate to say it, retired. <laughs> I got it all done? You got it. <laughs> what makes Norfolk a special place for you, sir? Well, uh, I don't want to bore you with a long story, but uh, when I joined the Navy, um, coming out of college, uh, University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, uh, I, I, one of my first assignments was here in Norfolk in the early 1960s, 19, late 60, early 61. Flying planes? No, actually, I was, uh, I was going to uh, a nuclear weapons school, believe it or not, which was a requirement for us before I <laughs> went to uh, Bermuda. Where there was a naval air station Where there, there was a naval air station there, and uh, we participated in the Cuban crisis at that time flying seaplanes. Um, we've come a long way since. <laughs> we've come a long way. I didn't come back until 1990 when I took uh, command of the naval base, which is really was really a regional command. Well, uh, between the Cuban Missile Crisis and 1990, you were everywhere. <clears throat> everywhere. Did a million things. Um, I was head of the Mine Warfare Command. I was uh, head of the uh, uh, patrol aviation on the East Coast and Many, many. Vietnam? No, no, because uh, chasing submarines wasn't one of the things we that they did over there. We were watching, however, the uh, submarines coming around under the ice, under the North Pole, being out at Shimya at the well, end of the Aleutians. Well, I'm not trying to impress you, but I did one of the very first stories on Elf. Ah. Ah, see, most people don't know about Elf. <laughs> and I did it out in San Clemente Island. Okay. Um, where the you guys had actually done the impossible. You had gridded the ocean floor with extreme low-frequency cables because the one thing that we couldn't beat the Russians on, they could go deeper than us, they could go faster than us, but they couldn't lick their noise. And, That's correct. And so we knew where they were. We knew where they always were. Always. And, and you know, I'm reminded of when the day that Reagan got shot on March, th I think, 30th or 31st, 1981, uh, only two months after he was inaugurated, all hell broke loose in the Situation Room at the White House because everybody wanted to go to like DEFCON 4 because they saw, they saw all this Russian submarine movement starting to happen, and all of a sudden one of the Navy guys came in and said, no, guys, it's just a shift change. We know. Yeah. But you guys knew everything. Yes, we did. And, and we watched it grow in the early days. You know, the, the crew that stumbled across a submarine... Uh, in the uh, in the ocean was guaranteed enshrinement in the ASW Hall of Fame for at least six months because it'd be that long before another one. Well, I will tell you this: when I went on a classified mission on a on a U.S. sub, I, I still can't tell anybody where we went or what we did. I will tell you mm -hmm. this: that at one point we were about 200 feet behind a Soviet sub, and based on his distinct sonar signature, the commander of my sub could tell me a the name of that sub. And who the commander was likely to be—that was wild. Yes, and and um, when when the Cold War ended, although I'm not sure it really has, but when it <laughs> ended, um, I remember one of the greatest compliments ever paid to our community was from—I think it was Soviet General Akramayov said to—I think it was Admiral Crow at that time—when I want to know where my submarines are, 
I look to see where your P3s are. Well, we all knew that <laughs> right behind their submarine. P3, by the way, was a sub-chasing plane. Yes. Yeah. Right behind their, their submarine, the Soviet submarine, was a U.S. submarine ready to fire if had to. Amazing. Uh, so it was, uh, it was a work we did together. Well, we're talking too much shop here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but bottom line is this base itself has such great history. Not just the base, but the uh, the history of naval activity on the Elizabeth River stretches from, or up to the mouth of the bay, stretches what from what, 1607 to the present day. And uh, the, it's it's really quite interesting, the things that were done here, not only by the Navy, but by the Army and the Marine Corps during World War one World War Two, and uh, of course before that, the the Civil War and others. There's so much to see. And is that what keeps you here? This. Is that what keeps you here? It's one of the things that keeps me here. Uh, I, I was uh, I was very happy to come back here after I left Japan and uh, retire. And I came back here because I was stationed here before. I you knew it. And, I knew and it. you loved it. We loved. It. Rear Admiral Byron, Jake Tobin, United States Navy retired. I'm not going to call you retired. You never retired. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. Every time I, I, I go to a new city, maybe not a new city for you or a new city for me, but just a different city, I always try to visit at least one museum, never more than one, because otherwise my eyes glaze over. Uh, and I'm always surprised at the placement and location of certain museums, which may or may not reflect the community to begin with, but they're there anyway. And they're, and they're great surprises. And such is the case with the Chrysler Museum of Art right here in Norfolk. And joining us is the chief curator, Lloyd DeWitt. How are you, sir? Very well. Glad to be here. Now, you heard my introduction because most people would never... Think uh, they, 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 what, Norfolk Chrysler what exactly exactly and and we don't have any cars and that's <laughs> might disappoint some people there is another there is another uh, Chrysler Museum with cars but that's far away but we're uh, we have this enormous art collection in you're right it's a kind of an unexpected place but Walter Chrysler's uh, bride was from Norfolk and this is where they retired he lived uh, so the really, art so the art followed him the art followed him and it was his life's work he uh, he wasn't involved with the car company he collected art and built this wonderful public art collection and moved it from Rhode Island to uh, Norfolk in 1971 the city fathers put the uh, uh, made a huge argument to to get the collection here and it's been they, a they want they wanted it they wanted it, exactly, and they really saw that it was part of the renovation of the city and to, to really put us on the map. And, and since then, it's been the star attraction, this kind of sleeper that uh, is close to the beach. And, uh, is I believe that every treasures. museum should be close to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it makes it very convenient, but now we've got uh, great restaurants and culture in town to boot, so it makes it uh, all the more attractive to visit the Chrysler. We're just nestled there on the Hague, on the water, Beautiful building, uh, newly renovated, 60 galleries full of the world's art treasures from uh, mummies all the way to Jackson Pollock and Mark Rothko. I mean, we've got it all. We've but let's go back to his original years. collection. Yes. His, his original collection didn't just have that. 
No, he started off with about 600 Picasso paintings, and, and over the years, he would go and visit his dealer friends, and he would trade them for... I'll give you one uh, Picasso for three mummies? For, it, it probably went exactly like that. <laughs> or a Veronese, or a Guido Reni, or a Rubens, or, you know, a so, so he wasn't particular to any one kind of art? He, or anyone's uh, school well, of art? He, he had a goal in mind. He wanted to create this public art museum, yeah. so he wanted an encyclopedic collection. So Asian So it's art, eclectic. It's it feel it's not really eclectic. It's encyclopedic. It's like the Met. It wants to have great art from every period, and so he has what often has one great work. So Egyptian all, and American colonial. All the all the major artists. So even the Monet, Gauguin, Rodin. Really, you know, it's it's uh, and one great example by each of those. It's really meant to inspire and educate the public. He really wanted it to be a, a public institution. So I think that's what makes it stand apart. Now, when you think of Norfolk right here on the bay. You've got a great coastline. Yeah. Uh, there's great naval history here. Yes, yeah. Is that reflected in the museum as well? We, unfortunately, have almost no ship paintings. <laughs> <laughs> I borrowed one from a lot. But uh, you're close to the beach. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But we do, I think it's something in the, in the next coming years we do want to focus on that. We've got uh, some shows coming up uh, this summer, Thomas Hart Benton in the Navy to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the uh, of the Navy base here. The That'd be largest. cool. Yeah, exactly. And a famous American artist uh, focusing on the Navy and some prints. And uh, we've got some uh, McClure uh, uh, local photographer looking at uh, shipyard workers' portraits to celebrate the, the men and women who uh, are hard at work every day here um, in this, uh, what I like to think of as the business end of Virginia. So. Well, it is. Yeah, it is. exactly. When you think about the history of the museum and, and now that the encyclopedic connect collection that you have, and you say it's a star attraction, is there a star attraction within the star attraction? Is there one thing that people have to see when they're at the museum? I would say there's at least five, but the the uh, and it depends on your taste. The Gauguin is one of the world's most gr the greatest one of the world's greatest Gauguin paintings. The Bierstadt is just monumental. Um, it's, it's, and the glass collection is really unusual because it's so focused on art. Glass is art. Um, so there's all these. Uh, he didn't. He didn't put all his eggs in one basket. You really get a sense. And he collected by his own taste. So our mother well. He didn't put all his Fabergé eggs in one basket. Exactly. Are there any Fabergé eggs? No Fabergé no. <laughs> eggs. But if you want, if you want to give us one, you know, anyone's out there. Oh, you're you know. open for donations. We are certainly open for donations. Lloyd Dewitt, the chief curator for the Chrysler Museum of Art, right here in Norfolk, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Interest of full disclosure, when I first came to Norfolk many years ago, the definition of sautéed was extremely deep fried. All right, that's it was everything was deep fried. Everywhere I went was deep fried. Um, luckily and thankfully, times have changed. And joining us now, somebody knows a little bit about how things got changed. A Norfolk restaurateur who's got a few little places, one of which is an institution already. Uh, John Porter, how are you, sir? Good. How are you, Peter? You heard my introduction. I did. There are still some friars in Norfolk. However, um, we've come a long way since then. Well, I'm not just talking about the friars. I'm just talking about the, the style of food and the service of food and, and the delivery of it uh, and the choice. Absolutely. So we, we 
have had a, a very explosion here as of recent. Um, there are a lot of new experiments going on that are quite fun to participate in. We've uh, been thankful enough to be involved in some of that, um, and it really is fun to participate. Now, when I say one of your restaurants has become an institution, everybody tells me about the biscuit. That's right. Tell me about the biscuit. So it's Southern food at its finest. We've, we've sort of uh, <laughs> re-engineered some pieces of it, but uh, they're sweet potato biscuit sandwiches and um, everything from fried chicken back to your fryer. Okay, okay, uh, I'll give you that one. Go ahead. To uh, we have grits. We we have grits at another one of our locations, not at Handsome Biscuit, okay. but it's it's a nice concise menu. It's we have pulled pork, frittatas, you name it. We put it on a biscuit sandwich, and it's great. And it's the same biscuits. It's it's a, it's a uh, sweet potato biscuit. You got it. That's the only biscuit you That's got. That's the only one. Wow. No, it doesn't come in any other flavors, no other style. Just one. Okay. Mac and cheese? No mac and cheese. <laughs> and how long has it been open? Since February 2013. All right. And then I, I love that you have names that just say what they are. Toast. Yes, yes. Toast is underpinned by the making of uh, two in-house loaf breads. One is a, a rustic wheat um, and the other is a brioche with just a touch of sweetness. And we're talking sweet potato biscuits again? Nope. This, no. at, at Toast, we have... Uh, uh, the bread runs the program. We do also there have the, the grits and a vegetarian chili. A vegetarian chili? Wow. You wouldn't know it doesn't have meat in it. You would never know. You would never know. Well, listen, with enough spice, you wouldn't know anything. That's right. Is that That's the secret, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, done. Okay. But how has the scene changed so dramatically and why? You know, um, I, I think there were... There are a few reasons. Uh, there's a, there's an interest in exploration, I think, and and becoming disjointed from the idea that um, you know, tweezer food is always has to be the pinnacle of cuisine. I think we've transitioned to um, more experience-based and, and social sort of connection around culture. So um, it really, I think the experience is, is running things in a more, more relaxed manner. And with such a big population being U.S. Navy here, right, they're not just doing rib, you know, ribs and uh, mashed potatoes. That's right. We, we you know, uh, with, with uh, all the Navy folks here, there's a constant supply of new, new people to kind of try out um, what we've done. We get a lot of chances to, to experiment. Um, and, and really, they, they come with, <clears throat> excuse me, broad uh, experience from all around the world, uh, different flavors, different things that they've experienced. And so, I- interesting lot. Well, you talk about experimenting. I, I ask this of every restaurateur I can, so you're no exception. What's the one thing you put on your menu that you thought, man, everybody's going to love this and it tanked? And then what's the one thing that you put on your menu saying, who's going to order this and they can't get enough of it? Great question. Uh, Both of those come at Handsome Biscuit. The first, um, we actually did a version of a shrimp and grits biscuit. It was just as a special. Um, It it really, I thought, was going to do very, very well. it was kind of a, a more of a polenta cake of sorts. Did it have a name? Uh, it did, and I don't remember it. It was, it was so it was, memorable that you don't remember it. Was it was something crafty, I'm sure. However, I don't remember it. <laughs> um, and, and for multiple reasons. I, I certainly enjoyed it, but for multiple reasons, people didn't really connect with it. But um, the, 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 the So that is no longer on the menu? That's no longer on the menu. Okay. It, it was a short run. It was 86th like right. you couldn't believe that's it. Right. That's okay. right. Um, so the other one is our Hella Fitzgerald. It, it really, you know, we put it on the menu, we thought... Hey, this is going to be the one of the hella Fitzgerald. You got it. So it's and, and what is it? It's a a um, a chicken thigh fried. Uh, Does with, it do scat singing too? No, no. <laughs> it's got um, sausage red eye gravy, a bit of cheddar, and some bacon on it on that sweet potato biscuit, and it was um, really put there to be. Um, sort of all attractive and and I guess that's what it did we just didn't expect it to be such a runaway hit and no calories whatsoever no the calories no are fat. very low no it's, fat. Yeah, it's all zero zero mm-hmm. it's just 
That's right. Get a stretcher. We, right. <laughs> now, other than your restaurants, I mean, Toast and uh, Handsome Biscuit, you have Field Guide yep. too. Where do you hang out that's not one of your restaurants that is a, like, a, like a local dive or a place that's not in the brochure, not in the guidebook that you absolutely would take me to? Sure. Um, I love Le Grand. It's a little place on North Collie. A um, lot of inventive food. It's a small place um, run by a, a, a smart young gentleman. And then um, another place out in Virginia Beach called Stockpot. And what's in that? It's It was built around soup, but they've sort of broadened into different things, all sorts of great, healthy home cooking. Cool. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.